Welcome to the T's and C's. Tiso and Gentel. Also known as the Terms and Conditions podcast. Executively produced by Georgia Foriato. Welcome to the USA special of The Election Reflection. We decided to do a four-part series in the build-up to the presidential election. Tiso and I are not experts on presidential elections, so we're bringing on guests who are... Bringing experts in to cover everything from voter suppression, white supremacy, to the Electoral College. Welcome to the first episode of our USA Election Reflection. We are absolutely buzzing to be joined by Ankita Rao, who is based in New York. She is head of the Guardian US's Voter Rights Project. She's a previous contributor to Vice, the NWNYC, and has written some amazing stuff about voter suppression in the US, but stuff that has got me and T so very nervous. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> but I guess lots of people that will know the sorts of things you're going to talk to us about today Ankita will kind of see us maybe as slightly naive I don't know but until we sort of got into the nitty-gritty of your journalism and what you've been doing at the Guardian on this project had no idea it was this bad so yeah thank you so much for joining us thanks so much for having me and if it makes you feel better we're just as bewildered over here <laughs> like this is insane like i'm i'm scared and i'm not even in the u.s uh, my question is how did we arrive at this point and where we are right now has it been years and years of neglect i don't understand um yeah and unfortunately like everything in the u.s our issues do date back hundreds and hundreds of years a lot of our voting laws have their roots in slavery they have their their roots in jim crow Black people were supposed to have gained their voting rights at the turn of the 19th century, but white lawmakers found all sorts of insidious ways to still keep them back, like making them do absurd things like you have to be able to count how many jelly beans are in this jar to vote. What? We're talking about, (laughs) exactly. I mean, this is, I mean, I couldn't make up how absurd this is. So every possible obstacle that has been placed in front of minorities and specifically Black Americans over time has been placed in front of them. If we fast track a few decades, in 1965, Lyndon B. Johnson, the president at the time, signs in the Voting Rights Act. And this is after years of people like John Lewis and Martin Luther King Jr., um, Fannie Lou Hammer, and activists across the country marching and fighting for for their right to vote. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 is meant to finally protect the right to vote for every single citizen in the U.S. despite their race or the, the color of their skin. In a lot of ways, it does. You know, we see the most sort of the surge in voter registration and access to voting that we ever have in this country right after that. So I'd love to say the story stopped there, but... In 2013, the Supreme Court strikes down a very critical section of the Voting Rights Act, right? It's called Section 5. And what Section 5 did was say that these states that used to be part of the Jim Crow South, which is what we call the states that sort of lagged behind in giving Black people rights, they would have to submit any changes they made to voting and elections through the courts And they had to be pre-cleared by the Department of Justice to say, okay, this is fine. This won't 
burden Black Americans or minorities or poor people. So suddenly that's gone. So suddenly that protection is no longer there because in this case, there, which is called Shelby versus Holder, if you remember Eric Holder from the past attorney general under Obama. So suddenly that protection is gone and it opens up the country to passing laws that no longer have to go through those checks and balances. And so since 2013, we've sort of seen a rekindling of laws that contribute to voter suppression in this country. What happened in 2013 was the will was to stop putting checks and balances on the state that were previously slower in protecting the rights of black people. Is that correct? Exactly. So states like Alabama and Mississippi, Texas no longer have to sort of send their laws through this uh, system of making sure they're not racist because their argument is, hey, this country is far past the civil rights movement. Everyone's equal now. We're doing great. Why should we still have to do this? Any of those states that passed that law, are they some of them swing states or are they just red states? Most of them are red states. Uh, But I think the question is, what would be a swing state if not for voter suppression, right? So Texas is, we think of it often as a red state, but but increasingly there's this argument that it's only a red state because people can't vote. You know, Mm -hmm. black and brown people have so much trouble voting in Texas. Voter Mm -hmm. turnout in Texas is far lower than the national average. So if everybody were voting, would it still be a red state or would it be a swing state? So I think that a lot of these sort of these questions just are kind of like a chicken and egg argument. How are some of the ways that voter suppression occurs now in contemporary elections? In 2016, I think was the first time people really started paying attention to voter suppression on a national scale. Obviously, a lot of people were paying attention before that. But this is when, um, you know, with Trump, you know, losing the popular vote, but winning the Electoral College, people started looking into why this happened. You could see really clear examples. So, for example, Milwaukee is a majority black city in Wisconsin, which is a critical swing state. There was tens of thousands of people who didn't vote. Now, what had happened before between the last election and this one was this very strict voter ID law. And voter ID laws, they're kind of built to confuse people out of voting. So they say, so in different states, they'll say, okay, you have to bring one of these five types of IDs to the polls. That seems simple, right? Like, oh, of course, you could show your ID at the poll. But then you look at who has these types of IDs, who has these types of IDs that are up to date. And a lot of the poor working class people in the U.S. do not have up to date IDs all the time. They're hard to get. You spend hours at uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles trying to get your driver's license. Like maybe you don't have time to do that. Maybe you don't have money to do that. Whatever it is, there is a difference in who has access to these IDs easily and who doesn't. Do you have to pay for them, Ankita? In certain states, the laws say that if they're going to instate something like a voter ID law, in certain states, they have to pay for it. But a lot of people don't know that. And the confusion itself often is what drives the suppression is Republicans, mostly Republican legislatures will come out and say, we have this new voter ID law. If you don't have one of these five things, you could be prosecuted and sent to jail for voting. People get scared. People freak out. 
people don't show up to vote. And I think in the last election, a lot of people thought Hillary Clinton would win. So they just didn't want to take the risk, you know, because when you're prosecuted for voter fraud, you could go to jail for years. So that's one obvious way of voter suppression. The whole process seems very confusing. The idea that you have to tick all these boxes is so confusing to certain people, even just as, a, as an observer. When I was reading, I was thinking there's so much information here just to go and vote. I would argue it's less hassle not to go. It's really difficult, right? Even even for someone like me who covers voting rights, this year I had to think 10 times about how I would vote in this election during the primaries and now. And obviously the pandemic made that more difficult. But I think even in a normal circumstance, right, every state has different laws. We don't get time off for voting like, you know, other countries do. You're not registered in an automatic way. Some states like Texas don't let you register online. Like it's 2020. How can you not register to vote online? And if you're, you know, an 18 year old voting for the first time and you have to print out a registration form, mail it in, then and you have to stay at the same address or you could get kicked off a voter registration roll. Maybe you went to college and you can't get your ballot there. Like there's there's a million things in front of you that that make it very difficult. I remember reading something you said about the signature. Your signature has to match exactly to a signature they have on file. And like that's arbitrary. I mean, think about think about what your signature might have looked when you were 20 and I, I don't know how old anyone is here, but 20 and 30, right? Like I used to change my signature, like became just a scribble as I had to sign more things, right? If someone had to compare those two signatures, they would think, I mean, they could easily say this is a different person. And not only is signature matching an incredibly flawed and sort of strange system, but the people who are determining this have no training. They're not people who are, you know, expert in handwriting and linguistics and all of these things. They're they're normal election officials who get a couple of hours to look at two signatures. So I think that has come up a lot, especially this election, because more people are voting by mail and that's when they do that stuff like signature matching and that kind of thing. Um, and people are really worried their ballots will get rejected and not count in an election that could be determined by a handful of people in swing states. I just want to recap for one second. So in Texas, you can't register to vote online. Is that true? Yes. I Like even that, it just seems so backward but it's so backward that it's purposeful that it's done it feels so purposeful and I guess that's why I'm kind of lost for words a little bit um what are some of the other ways that voter suppression is occurring what is a concern right now for voting rights polling stations closing um so after that 2013 uh case that I was telling you about thousands of polling stations across the South closed, thousands. And that means that, you know, there's longer lines when people do go to vote because there's fewer places to go to. There's, you know, rural counties where you have to travel miles and miles to vote. These are the same states that have very strict mail-in ballot laws. So you can't just mail in your vote, you have to show up at those places and there's fewer of them. And some of them are, you know, there was a there was a case of a, a polling station in a black community in Georgia that was attached to a police station. And this is, you know, if you're in a community that has a bad relationship with police, which no shock to the world right now that 
a lot of places in America have a bad relationship with the police. And then you have to vote right there. Like that in itself could deter you from voting. So the polling stations closing has been a big one. And and the sort of addendum to that in the pandemic voting era is that they've not only closed the polling stations, but they've closed the drop boxes to drop off your mail-in ballot. You know, I we just had a story about this on Saturday, which this county in Texas, Harris County, which is bigger than the entire state of Rhode Island. Maybe that's not a very great comparison for an international audience, but but it's this county is huge, millions and millions of people, 20% Black, 40% Hispanic. And there's one place where you can drop off your ballot. During a pandemic, when people don't want to wait in line, there's one place you can drop off your ballot. So just thinking of these sort of absurd ways. Um, and then the voter purge rolls, which I mentioned before. So different states. So the voter registration role is where everyone who's a registered voter should be on basically a list in each state fine. And the states are legally required to update those lists to make sure that if people die or they move, that they're no longer on their list. Of course, again, fine. But there are states like Wisconsin and Georgia who then start to have a a stricter process for kicking people off their ballots, including if they move within the same state or with and without notifying these people will will kick them off the voter registration roll. Then this person may have moved in the same neighborhood and think that they're still registered to vote. The deadline passes and then they find out that they're no longer able to vote. They don't show up at the polls. So these are, you know, again, these tiny frustrating ways. <laughs> I think like something that's really just staying in my head and I just can't get out of my head is the fact that after this legislation changed in 2013 they closed all the polling stations they no longer had to be purposeful in showing that they were recognizing histories and contemporary inequalities faced by black people within those states so they knew i'm just repeating what you said it's really obvious but i'm just like the purposeful nature of that kind of democratic suppression is just unbelievable it is the irony is throughout the 20th century i think like is it tammany hall with boss tweed this is a consistent theme in american politics like there's a suppression of a group of people be it the immigrants irish people black people this has always gone on what i find quite quite difficult to grasp is they're using early in the 20th century they use more kind of extra legal methods like putting people outside peace stations but they're using the law to disenfranchise people, which is the scariest thing, to use the law. And if we are a nation of laws, that's worrying. Where's our protection? Exactly. These are legal voter suppression laws, and they are constantly riddled in court cases where they get overturned one year and back the next year and overturned one year, and they're fought between civil rights groups and usually, you know, Republican legislatures back and forth. And I think that leaves people in the middle constantly, right? Because one year you might need to show this ID, the next year you don't. If you're an average human who's not obsessed with thinking about voting 24-7, where does that leave you? Ankita, it would be good to sort of end this episode thinking more about the next month and the, in the weeks ahead, like what are the sort of headlines about voter suppression that people should be concerned about with regards to what Trump's going to be doing? Um, well, I think, you know, not to be too prescriptive, but I think for the people 
who are in the U.S., the main goal should be to look past all of the politics of it and focus on voter education, because out of all of these things that are happening, you want to make sure you at least cast your own ballot, right? There's ways to track your ballot. There's ways to sign your ballot. You want to make sure that you do absolutely everything you can to make your own vote count at this moment. And then I think internationally, the things we'll be looking for, first of all, we should not have a clear answer unless there's a huge landslide victory. We should not have a clear answer to who is the president on election night, because if we do, that means many ballots are not being counted. And I think there's a big concern that there will be violence and and lawsuits um, and all sorts of stuff popping up after election night because we're not going to have a clear and certain winner. That's something to really pay attention to is this will be the first time in history or in at least modern history that election night isn't actually election night. And that's something to certainly be aware of. Um, I think the other thing is to be looking at the numbers of ballots that are rejected in mail-in voting. And we're keeping obviously close tabs on this, but whose ballots are being rejected? You know, and there are demographics that are going to inevitably show up in those numbers. Um, they already have, but more Demo- Democrats than Republicans are voting by mail. So if there are more ballots rejected there, then we'll know that something is going on there. And then, you know, Trump is going to, even from his hospital bed, continue to undermine the integrity of the election. He is very purposefully casting doubt to say the election is rigged against him and that the media is playing into that. And so, you know, keeping track of what he says as a sort of game versus the reality of the situation. There is very little to z- suggest that voter fraud is a rampant thing in the U.S. So the more he says that, he's really just trying to build an atmosphere of fear. So if he loses, he can say it was rigged against him. He's like an evil genius. He's like a cartoon James Bond villain. I <laughs> still in shock. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm struggling for words. And like, it's so... That doesn't happen to me very often. <laughs> like I knew, I I knew that this was going to be an important episode, and it's one of the reasons why we wanted to put it as the first one in this series. But I guess it would be really good, Ankit, if we could possibly end on any sort of hope or resistance. I mean, the whole the Guardian project that you're doing on voter right, yeah. voters' rights, like it's so clear, it's so concise. That in itself is part of the collective resistance, in my opinion. But is any other um sort of pockets of hope that we can look to or even support, like Yeah, I mean I to me the important thing is always what do voters care about and not anything else. And I think what is really astounding and beautiful to me is that we are seeing record voter turnout, even with every attempt to stop people from voting. You know, the U.S. voting turnout rates can sometimes just be in like the 60 percent or something. But we're really seeing people, including in states like Texas, where that have all those hurdles, really make sure that they're turning up to vote and organizing their their own communities and making sure that everybody they know knows how to vote. And young people are voting more than they ever have before. And the same people who took to the streets to protest are driving a lot of that mobilization. In some ways, this combination of the pandemic and and George Floyd and this real the spotlight on injustice in this country is is driving the most engagement 
you know, I've seen in my lifetime, at least. And so I think that is a point of hope. I like that. that. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And we'll be back again next week, listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the T's and C's with T's and Chantel. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram.